Good morning. Good to see you guys gathered here this morning. I got a couple of thank you cards I want to read to you. Uh, this one says, you are a blessing. Medina Federated Church family, we still feel so blessed to be serving our great God alongside all of you. Thank you for your gift to our family. God has used each of you uh, as such an encouragement to us. We are so thankful for you in his love, the Rotifers. And it has 1 Corinthians 1, 4. I always thank God for you because of his grace. This one says, uh, a special note of thanks straight from my heart. Dear Medina Federated Church family, we are beyond grateful, thankful, and blessed. Words that do not come close to expressing our gratitude, your generosity, love, and kindness overwhelms us and humbles us. Thank you so much for the generous love offering and the basket full of all things wonderful. We love serving our great God alongside each one of you. Uh, each one of you is a blessing to us, the lemons. All right, just a couple of announcements here for you as we begin. Christmas choir practice is right after the morning service this morning, uh, so make sure all of you who are in the choir stick around for a little while afterwards. Uh, there'll be a youth group fall party tonight at 5.30, so come uh, tonight for that, guys, and that'll be at 5.30 to 7.00. Uh, upon further review, is going to be at 6 o'clock. We're just going to be diving in further uh, into what we look at this morning uh, tonight at 6. So you are more than welcome to come and, and be a part of that. I'll let you make note of all of the other uh, announcements that are in the bulletin. I do want to make, aware, make you aware uh, that next Sunday is going to be our missions conference. Our theme is harvest time. And we're going to be looking at the fact that we are in the midst of harvest time. And so we'll be sharing that. Amanda Bloom will be with us during the morning service. She'll be here at 9.30. And I have heard rumors that the Market House is going to be providing donuts for us. So 9.30 uh, next Sunday, you can partake of those. Uh, after the morning service, we're going to have a potluck. So if you just bring a dish to pass, we will partake of that as well. And so that's going to be a busy week of, of feeding and feeding uh, next week. So make sure you make note of that and we're looking forward to that on November the 6th. Uh, lots of other announcements there. I'll let you make note of those announcements. There was one other one I felt like I needed to share, but I'll keep it a secret. All right. Our missionaries of the week this week are Daily Bread. So we do want to just be in prayer for that ministry. Also WPOS Radio. I uh, want to be in prayer for them. Uh, our Daily Bread is the publisher of Our Daily Bread. They have a radio show as well, uh, but they have a lot of published ministry tools. And so we do want to just be in prayer for that, just for opportunities uh, for God to be glorified through that. I uh, do want to be in prayer for WPUS Radio. They are in Holland, Ohio. So we do want to just be in prayer for that ministry as well. Just be praying that God would use them, God would direct them. So that is uh, our other ministry of the week this week. Uh, Prattville Community Church is our church of the week this week, so we do want to be in prayer for them. They are in the process of looking for a pastor, so pray for them as they search for a pastor, uh, just that God would lead and direct with that, and the right pastor for the right position would be found and would be discovered. So just remember them and be in prayer for them. Uh, at the end of our service this morning, we will be serving communion. So if you are going to be participating in communion this morning and you didn't grab a communion cup, 
Uh, you're welcome to just go back there to the back and do that while we're singing. Uh, you can grab that, but uh, that'll be right after the service, right after the message this morning. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin. I don't know how it's been for you this week, but reconciliation has been something that's been on my mind since last week. Uh, reconciliation between many nations uh, has been something that has been elusive. Since the Cold War, uh, in Europe and in the former Soviet bloc nations, there has been just countless numbers of efforts uh, trying to reconcile those Soviet bloc nations with the European nations. Uh, so much effort trying to be made just to try to make their, that unification, that reconciliation to take place in all of Europe. But you know, it hasn't happened. There's always something that, that keeps one country from reconciling to another. And as they come together and as plans are made for reconciliation, more and more things come up that keep them from being reconciled together. Reconciliation is something that is elusive for many things and for many people and for many nations. Last week we began uh, speaking about reconciliation as we have been making our way through 2 Corinthians. And last week we stopped at verse 20. And I really wanted to add verse 21 to verse 20, but I know that some of you didn't want to be here last week until 2 o'clock. And so I thought it would be a good thing for us today just to look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 together, and just examine in this passage what this has for us. And as we think about this passage, uh, the, thought of, the thought of reconciliation with a holy God is kind of an overwhelming thing as I think about it in my own life, because there's nothing within me that deserves reconciliation with a holy God. But when I turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21, I see how reconciliation between me and a holy God is possible. So this morning, we're going to dive in on the shallow end of 2 Corinthians 5.21. We're going to make our way to the deep end and kind of examine and think about all that's in 2 Corinthians 5.21. And then when we're done, we're going to partake of communion together and celebrate the fact that reconciliation between us and God has been made. Not because of us and how great we are, not because we're over six foot tall, but because of Jesus Christ. That's what we see in this passage. So I'm so excited to dive into this this morning. If your Bibles aren't already open to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, I invite you to get there. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. When I get a new Bible, this is always the first verse I underline. I turn to it right away and I underline it. This is my most favorite verse in all of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it's underlined. It says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, there are going to be two headings that we're going to use just to kind of lead us through this. The first thing we see is the imputation of sin. And the second thing we see is the imputation of righteousness. Before we dive into this, let's just pause for a moment and pray. Father, we are grateful for who you are this morning. So grateful for your son, Jesus Christ. 
and all that we have because of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that in our time together this morning, that you might speak to our hearts and our minds, that you might open our hearts and our minds, that we might hear from you this morning with open hearts and with open minds. And so, Lord, as your word is open to us this morning, as we have it opened in our own language, I pray, Father, you would use it to speak to our hearts. Lord, we know there's nothing that I can share that's of any value, but your word, Lord, is of eternal value. So let us hear from you this morning. We're so grateful for your son, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The first thing we want to look at this morning is the imputation of sin. Notice as this verse begins, it says, for our sake. Now, Paul has been speaking, and we've seen Paul speaking here, and he's been talking about us as ambassadors for Christ. Look at verse 20 there with me, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So Paul is speaking about ambassadors, and he says, for our sake, it says, our sake as ambassadors. This is what's taking place for us as ambassadors. Ambassadors for Christ are those who've received the message of reconciliation. Ambassadors for Christ have received the message of reconciliation, and they, in fact, have been reconciled to God. Uh, the impossible has taken place. Those of us who were unreconciled, who were in desperate need of reconciliation, which is everybody, we have been reconciled to God. And as a result of that reconciliation with God, we ourselves, as ambassadors, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Look at verse 18 there. It says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He is speaking about those who become new creatures in Christ. Because we are ambassadors, because we've recognized the message of reconciliation, because we have been reconciled to God, we have been made new creatures in Christ. Verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And with that being said, he says, for our sake, as ambassadors, those who've turned to Christ, those who've received the gift of salvation, for our sake, he made him. Now, as we think about the he there, this is obviously referring to God the Father, God being perfectly holy, without sin, without any trace of sin. He is perfectly holy, completely without sin. Adam was the first man that was created. Adam was created without sin. He was placed in the Garden of Eden, and he was told that he could partake of any tree, of any fruit of the tree in the garden, except for one. There was the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that was the one that he could not partake of. Any other tree in the garden he could partake of, but that tree, 
he could not partake of the fruit of that tree. Eve was tempted as Satan came in and tempted her. And it says that she took of the fruit and she ate, but she gave to her husband and he took and he ate. And as a result of that, Adam's transgression, he was kicked out of the garden. He began to die physically and he died at that moment spiritually and he experienced separation between him and God. And because of Adam's transgression, that, that division impacted all of mankind. This is Romans 5, verse 12, and it says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Due to Adam's sin, man is in need of reconciliation. And by man, I mean mankind. And unfortunately, mankind cannot reconcile himself to God on his own. Because of our defilement, because of who we are being separated from God, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And because we're dead, there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can do to reconcile ourselves. Through our own self-efforts, we can accomplish nothing. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says this, We've all become like one who is unclean. All of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. We are like a polluted garment. No matter what we do is a polluted garment. We can do no righteous deeds. Because when it starts out as a polluted garment, everything is polluted. It doesn't matter what we touch. It is unpolluted. It is polluted because of our defilement. It doesn't matter what we touch. And so on our own, because of our inequities, because of who we are being unclean, our righteous deeds are nothing more than a filthy garment. We can bring our best to God, but on our own, it's a polluted garment to the nostrils of a holy God. But reconciliation is something that is God's plan. Reconciliation is not our plan as man, not something that we developed. But reconciliation is God's plan. Look at verse 18. We looked at this last week. It says, all this is from God. Through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This was the Father's plan. This was not our plan. This was the Father's plan. He made his sinless Son to be sin on our behalf. And the only way to explain God's plan is that God's plan flows from God's love. This is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You know, when you think about salvation, when you think about the design of salvation, only God can design salvation. Left to our own, there's, there's nothing that we could develop that would, be this, that would work this well. There's nothing that we could develop that would bridge the gap 
that would rescue us, that would help us to be, enable us to be reconciled to a holy God. Only God can come up with this plan. Colossians 1.13 says this, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us from, uh, to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So from the domain of darkness, He's taken us because of His Son, and He's delivered us to His beloved Son, to the kingdom of His beloved Son. We can't follow anything else. There's no other plan. There's no other plan. I remember visiting with somebody one time and they, they found out I was a pastor. I think it was because I was driving the church van, but I'm not sure just where they came up with that conclusion. But we began visiting and he said to me, I don't know if I could follow anybody who would give up their own son. And I shared with them that that's what shows us the depth of God's love. And it also shows us how far gone we are, how great our need is to be saved, because nothing else would do it, but only His perfect Son. Only His perfect Son could come and rescue us as imperfect people. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Some people have said and some people have shared that this was a form of child abuse, God sending his own son, surprising his son like that. But this was not done against the will of Jesus Christ. God the Father did not force Jesus to unwillingly, against his will, go to the cross and give his life for us. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. John 10, 17 and 18 says this, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus knew it was going to take place. Early on in his ministry, he began teaching the disciples and sharing with the disciples about what was going to take place. He knew it was going to happen. And he was preparing the disciples for what was going to happen. He knew Jesus willingly went to the cross, following God's plan, being the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who was without blemish. He went to the cross. Now notice it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. We are told a number of times in Scripture that Jesus was completely without sin. There was no shadow of sin. Obviously, in eternity past, he was without sin. 
But when Jesus came into this world and took on human flesh, his time in the flesh was spent without sin as well. Hebrews 4.15 says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus had to be without sin. As the Lamb of God, he had to be the perfect sacrifice. He had to be unblemished. I received a message from somebody a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about the book of Exodus. They're doing their quiet time in the book of Exodus. Who does that? It was awesome. He said, I have a question for you. I've been reading all of these chapters in Exodus, and he laid them out. I, I think it's 30 to 36. Uh, it was where he'd been reading. And he said, all of these have to do with worshiping God. All of these have to do with offering a sacrifice to God. All of these are laid out, these instructions are laid out so that they would know how to worship God, how to, how to bring a sacrifice before God. It was important that they realize that it had to be a lamb that was unblemished, one without defect. The Lord Jesus Christ came into this world as the perfect Lamb of God. And Jesus, being the perfect Lamb of God, knew no sin. He was completely without sin. This word that's used here for he knew no sin means that he had no direct personal experience with sin. Only because Jesus was entirely without sin of his own, was he able to go to the cross and pay the penalty for others? It was only because he was unblemished entirely that he was able to bear the sins of those who desperately needed their sins taken away, their sins removed. And it's only because he was without blemish that he could be our mediator. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. Jesus was without sin in every aspect, but we read that he was made to be sin. How was Jesus made sin? If he was sin-free and he was the spotless, unblemished lamb of God, if he was made to be sin, wouldn't he then be unblemished? Wouldn't he then not be the spotless lamb of God? Notice that it doesn't say that Jesus became a sinner. Even on the cross, even on the cross, he did not become a sinner. But on the cross, in that moment, Jesus took the place of a sinner. On that cross, Jesus was treated as if he was a sinner. 
Sin was placed on Jesus. But sin was not placed in Jesus. He was still sinless. This is the doctrine of imputation. Our sin being imputed onto Jesus Christ. Him paying the penalty for our sin. Our sin debt being placed on him on his account where no sin appeared, yet he paid the penalty for sin. While on the cross, he bore the consequences of sin. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, Yet we esteemed, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is the imputation of sin, Jesus Christ being on the cross, still sin free, but paying the penalty for our sin, paying the wages of sin. Jesus did that. But notice the next word there. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that. So that. There's a benefit for God imputing our sin onto Christ's account. There is a result for us, a benefit for us because Jesus was given that sin. We must recognize our need to be reconciled. We must recognize that our sin has separated us from God. We must recognize that that sin has caused a great chasm between us and God. We must recognize that and we must recognize our need for a Savior. We must recognize that because of my own sin, I cannot reconcile myself to God. I need to be reconciled. I need saved. And it's only when I recognize that, when I turn from that sin and turn from my own self-centered ways and my self-seeking ways and my self-reconciliation desires and turn to Christ. It's only through Christ that I can receive that salvation. It says so that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness is being in accordance with God, with being in accordance with what God requires of us. As we read about sin, as we read about sin, it's missing the mark. It's not coming up and, and meeting God's standards. When we miss the mark, we miss God's standards. When we are guilty of trespass, 
we've gone beyond God's standard. We've gone beyond and we've fallen short. That's what that is. But righteousness is having a right standing in God. It's, it's being able to come into the presence of God with a right standing. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of what Christ has done, we can become the righteousness of God. Just as our sin was imputed to Christ, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. This is double imputation. Not double amputation, but double imputation. Our sin being transferred to Christ's account, Christ's righteousness being transferred to our account. So now we can come into the presence of God because of this double imputation. We can come into the presence of God and have a right standing before God because of what Christ has done for us. Because of his righteousness being imputed to us, we can stand before a holy God. This righteousness is not of us. This righteousness is of Christ imputed to our account. Somehow, somehow we can, we can share in the righteousness of Christ when we're in Christ. The moment that we trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, the moment we turn and we turn to Christ, that moment is when our sins are imputed to Him and His righteousness is imputed to us. It's at that moment that that takes place. And it only takes place because we're in Him. Remember this phrase we looked at last week? Being in Him is the clause that Paul so often uses in Christ. When we are in Christ, we are surrounded by Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We talked last time about how that's a locative sphere how we were once in darkness, but now we're in Christ. Christ now envelops us. We're in this sphere of Christ. And because we are in Christ, we can now come into the presence of God. Because as God looks at us, because His righteousness has been, been imputed to us, because our sin has been imputed to Christ, God looks at us now and sees the righteousness of Christ. That's what takes place. When we are in Christ, we have a right standing with God. When we are in Christ, we have been justified. Because we are justified, we share in the righteousness of Christ. It's only in Christ. This is Romans 3, 24. We are justified by His grace as a gift. It's nothing that we can work for. It's not like we have to do a thousand burpees and 25 sit-ups to be justified. It's a gift by His grace, through His mercy, by faith. That is even given to us according to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That's not even of ourselves so that no one can boast. <clears throat> so when we gather at the throne and we're all standing around, the only thing we can do is glorify Jesus Christ. That's what's going to take place. We're not going to be worried about golf or darts when we get to heaven. We're going to be focused on Jesus Christ 
That's going to be the focal point. He is going to be the focal point. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin. That's the imputation of sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the imputation of righteousness. So what do we take home from this? What do we apply to our Sunday afternoon? I think the most important thing that we can take from this is the fact that we can be reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us how we can be reconciled to God. There is no other way to be reconciled to God. It is only through Jesus Christ. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 shares with us. God has provided the way for reconciliation. Now, as we're here this morning, we think about this reconciliation. We think about, for our sake, God making his son to be sin, even though he knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Maybe you're here today and you've never realized this before. Maybe the thought of your need for reconciliation to a holy God, maybe that's something that's escaped you. You've just, ah, I don't know. I don't know about all that stuff. I don't, I don't need that. <coughs> Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you today that we need to be reconciled to God. You cannot do it on your own. It doesn't matter what plan you think you have. You cannot be reconciled to a holy God on your own. It's impossible. But God has made a way. God has a plan. And through his son, Jesus Christ, you can be reconciled. But you need to turn to Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, there is no reconciliation. My prayer for you today is that you would be reconciled to God. And so a question that you have to ask yourselves this morning is, have you been reconciled to God? And I think in the quietness of our own hearts, this is a question that we each need to ask ourselves. It's not a question we can ask of our neighbors. It's a question we need to ask of ourselves. Because if it was up for, to me, I would make sure that you're reconciled. I would be reconciled for you. But I can't do that. It's up to each one of us as individuals to recognize our need for reconciliation, desire to be reconciled, and turn to Jesus Christ so that you can be reconciled. But it's only through Christ that we can be reconciled. Have you been reconciled? Are you willing to turn to Jesus Christ to be fully reconciled? I was thinking about this this week, thinking about this passage of Scripture I'm so glad that I'm not just halfway reconciled. Because on my own, I couldn't even make it halfway. 
my dad's given me instructions on how to do things, and he says, I'll show you half of it. You finish it. I can't do it. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the ability. God did not do that for us. He did not say, hey, get partway there, and I'll take you the rest of the way. He said, you cannot do it. You must be reconciled, but you can't do it on your own. Here is the way. Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's only through Christ. My plea this morning is that you would turn to Jesus and be fully reconciled. Not partway, but fully reconciled.